0: Good news everywhere today, is there not? There is good news to be found everywhere. You only need to scan a paper or a media website to see that is very much the case. Uh, Danny Willett, you remember him? His victory in the US Masters. What was that? It was apparently good news for British golf or uh, Britain's continuance in the EU. According to Barack Obama, anyway, what was that? That is going to be good news for global security. Tesco's return profits after a number of difficult years, what's that? Apparently it's good news and good news for its shareholders. There is good news and there is good news everywhere we look. Understand this, friends. London City Presbyterian Church is absolutely no exception to that rule. In here, as a church, we profess to possess a message that is not just important. We profess to possess a message that is the best possible news that a person can ever hear. But maybe you're a Christian in here that is in desperate need of a reminder of what that is. Or maybe you're a visitor to us this morning who doesn't quite know what that good news is. Well, if so, your timing is absolutely perfect. Uh, Because this morning what we're going to do is we're going to consider these verses we read. That miracle where Jesus heals, what is it, a man who is deaf and a man who is mute, And as we do this, God willing, what we're going to see together for a short time this morning is just why the news of Christianity, just why the news of the Bible is such good, good news. And uh, you know how this works by now, I'm sure. You know that in, in reform preaching, what usually happens is that a sermon is kind of divided, isn't it? It's kind of broken up usually into three or four headings or points. Now, this morning, we're not going to deviate from that particularly, uh, but we are going to seek this morning to try and answer three reasonably straightforward questions about the good news. Three questions. And I suppose you could think of it like this. This morning, we're going to think about the what, the how, and the who of the good news. The what, the how, and the who of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that set out before us, can I invite you as a congregation to please turn with me to the verses uh, that we read earlier on to what is what page is it Uh, 1010 1011 rather uh, to mark chapter 7 and verse 31 to have that in front of you and let's consider the, the first of these questions so the what what is the good news what is the good news what are we dealing with here what is the good news Okay, do you remember? I know it took me a couple of weeks, but do you remember where we left Jesus the last time that we were in Mark's gospel? Do you remember? He was up in the very far north, was he not? Do you remember he was in the vicinity of Tyre? Well, what do we read here? We learn that he's now left Tyre. He's headed now southeast. To the region of the Decapolis. Now this is, this is still a predominantly Gentile area that he's in, but it's got a larger proportion of Jews here. And what happens when he gets to the Decapolis? Who does he meet? He encounters a man. A man with two very b- b- profound and serious problems. Isn't that right? He is entirely deaf, this man but he is also very limited in speech but what else could you say about the man by the end of the section he is a man who has been entirely healed entirely healed by the power of the lord jesus christ now if you're an avid reader of literature you know that novels very often work on different levels, don't they? We've talked about this before, haven't we? Maybe the obvious example is Moby Dick. If you've read Moby Dick, what do you know? You know that it's not just a book about whaling. Or the other example that I think we've used before is, of course, you know, George Orwell's Animal Farm. There's not it's a, a book less about animals on a farm than it is obviously about Stalin and oppression. You see the idea, don't you? Books working on different levels. Well, As we've studied our way through Mark's gospel as a congregation Haven't we seen that the same principle there applies to the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ? That there is different levels, there's deeper meanings there Have we not seen that? That in each of these miracles There is a, a deeper lesson for us about what? About the nature of sin Do you see what I mean by this or not? Like, think about one of the miracles. Take a miracle. Jesus heals. What have we seen? He's healed a leprous man, hasn't he? Do you see the deeper meaning? What is it? It points us to the power Jesus has to cleanse us from the disease of sin. Or let's go for another one. What we go for? Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. Demon-possessed. Do you see the lesson? Jesus has the power to free us, liberate us from the controlling power of sin. Do you see in each of the miracles, there's this great lesson about the, the nature of sin. Do you see the point? When we come to this episode and this miracle of Jesus, you see what we're not supposed to do? We're not supposed to stand back and go, oh, this is nice. Jesus has made this man hear things. No, we're supposed to see in this, to look for the deeper, significant spiritual message here. And what is that? Is it not, friends, that sin deafens humanity to God? Do you see that? Sin deafens men to God. Now, what does this mean? Well... Every second Thursday evening, we as a congregation, uh, we meet for prayer. The congregational prayer meeting, we meet through the back in the room at the rear of the church here. And, uh, you know, it's a reasonably informal meeting where we get together, we we discuss prayer points to do with the congregation across the world, and then then we pray. For the most part, it works reasonably well. Uh, but then, towards about half past seven, as the meeting sort of drawing to a close, get this, an orchestra <laughs> meets in this area out here. A full-blown orchestra meeting out here. Now, can you imagine what that is like? We are a few steps away uh, trying to pray. So, somebody will be in there praying quietly about the important things of the gospel and all of a sudden, the brass section will uh, begin to warm up, or the man on the timpani decides that he wants to start before half past seven. And of course, we are in there, aren't we? And we can't hear ourselves think, you know, is that person still praying? I can't hear if this person is praying. We cannot hear a thing. Now, don't you see, friends, that that is one of the great effects that sin has had on humanity? That in original righteousness, God has promised to communicate with man, to speak to man, to be with man, to, to really communicate with humanity. And what's happened? Sin has entered in and sin has deafened us. It has utterly destroyed our ability to hear the voice of God. Do you see the terror of that? Do you see how awful it is? All of humanity rendered entirely deaf to the voice of Almighty God. And so do you begin to see the beauty of the good news of Jesus? Because Think about the portion of scripture. What can Jesus do? Look at it. Look at verse 35. What can he do? The man's ears were opened. Don't you see, friends? Christ Jesus himself, he has the power to enable us to hear what? The voice of Almighty God. What does Christ give someone in salvation? He gives us spiritual ears. We can hear. Do you see it? Not only are we enabled to hear the, in this, that glorious initial call from God to repentance. But what else happens for us? We are enabled by Christ to hear the voice of God, the word of God throughout our whole Christian lives. It's beautiful, isn't it? In Christ we hear. And what do we hear? We hear the voice of our God. But there were two ailments that this man suffered from, were they not? So we also see that sin limits our speech. Now the commentators in this portion of scripture are quite interesting. They're divided here when it comes to this man. So some of the commentators here, they suggest that this man in the Decapolis really only had one issue. Some of them they say he 's just got one problem that he was deaf, and that the, the problems here with his speech were just a knock on effect of his uh, hearing problems. You see now what do you think about that? Is it not rather unconvincing because think about how Jesus heals this man. Did you notice the details the rather Start details. What does Jesus do? He actually takes his hand out there and he touches the man's tongue to heal him, doesn't he? In the healing, he actually heals his voice, does he not? So we see, I think, in that, surely, that this man did have a further ailment that affected the way he talked. Now, I want you to hear this. What was the man's problem? He could speak but he could not speak properly. And friends, I want you to see in that a further effect of sin on humanity. Do you see it? I like, guess we can communicate, can we not? Like we can speak, we can speak to each other after the service. We can speak and communicate to our friends. We can talk to our family. But do you see what sin has done? Sin has impeded our communication in the most vital way. We can talk, we can speak, but what is our problem? We cannot speak to God. Is that not the problem of humanity? And I do want to ask you this morning, in here just now, whether you fully see and appreciate the gravity of that situation. Do you see what we're saying here? We're saying that in the fall, that all of humanity, the whole of humanity was rendered speechless by sin. Do you see that? That even if we were to hear the the call of God, what's happened because of sin? We cannot respond. We are voiceless. We are mute, we are powerless, and we are facing, therefore, the consequences that sin brings. And so again, I say to you, don't you rejoice in what you're reading here? Because look again, what can Jesus do? Look at verse 35, what can Jesus do? The man's tongue was loosened. And he began to speak plainly. Do you see what it is that Christ does in salvation? He loosens our tongues, doesn't he? He frees our voices. And what are we able to do? Christ gives us the power to call out to God. For what? For the forgiveness of our sins. I wonder, if you're a Christian this morning, do you see what God has done for you? Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we said that God has given us as Christians a new heart. Do you see what Christ has done for you? He's given you a new voice. Do you not want to use that voice today to praise the name of Jesus? Do you not want to use that voice this week to go out and to testify to other people, to tell them to use this voice, to show them where, to tell them where healing can be found? But maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're an unbeliever. If so, I wonder just now, do you begin to see it? Like, do you begin to see just why we call it good news? I mean, think about what we're seeing here. What is the gospel? What is this good news? It is a message of eternal spiritual healing. And from what? From what are universal ailments? of sin. A second question that we must therefore answer is how. Like what is the good news? It's this glorious message of salvation and healing from sin. But how? So the second question, how can such good news, how can such healing be provided? And I tell you what, here I think we need to focus on the way in which Jesus restores this man. Because would you not agree with this? If we compare this miracle that we're we're looking at today with everything that we've seen and all the other miracles that we've looked at in Mark's gospel, would you not agree that there, there are many more details here? In the way in which Jesus heals the man, do you see that? Like compared with all the other miracles, there's there's many more specifics in this miracle and in this healing than we've seen before. So, how? What what do we see here? How did Jesus heal this man? First thing that I want you to think about here is that this was a personal healing, a very very personal healing. What, what do I mean? Okay, for a while there, if anyone was ill in my family, so if I was ill, or if my children were ill, first thing that we would do was to be, to pick up the phone and to phone Catherine's father. So my father-in-law, uh, a G, retired GP uh, in Scotland, so we thought, oh, well, why not bother him? You know, a retired doctor, let's pester him and try and get some information from him. Now, <laughs> That's a pretty ludicrous situation when you think about it, because here was us in London on the phone to a doctor who, at the time, was in the very far north of Scotland, and we were trying to describe to him some symptoms and trying to get some sort of a diagnosis. It was it was madness, really. It's too far away. It was all just so sort of. Dist- disconnected and impersonal right A ludicrous situation now I, I, i want you to see what we're dealing with this morning is the complete antithesis to that do you see what i mean like is this not in front of you the most in your face type healing isn't it from jesus isn't it an almost sort of confrontational episode? I mean, look what we're told here. Jesus is there. He's in the guy's face, and what does he do? Do you see what he does? He takes his fingers, and he, he pokes the fingers in the man's ears, and then he touches his tongue. Do you see this? Like, he's right there in the man's face, and he's touching the afflicted areas. Now, Why? Seriously, like why is it like that? Is it not to focus all of the attention here on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself? Is that not it? I mean think about it. Jesus Christ is not in the background here, summoning some sort of abstract force to come in and heal this man. Where is He? He's there. He's there. He's at the man. He's he's in the man's face, and what does he do? He's using his own saliva to heal this man. Do you see it? What are we being shown? We're being shown that all of the power for healing—it's off Jesus, it's off Himself, and of Him alone. And surely in this, we're getting a lesson here about the very, very nature of salvation. Are we not? I mean, are you not asking this morning, "But oh, how?" Can we get this healing? Are you asking, where is this power from sin? Where does it come from? Do you not see it here? Friends, it only comes in this man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you please, please hear me. There is no spiritual healing outside of Jesus. Do you understand that there is no saving power apart from the Lord? This good news is no good news unless it is the good news of the Christ. This is a personal healing, but we also need to note that it's a very emotional healing as well. Friends, isn't it true that sometimes when we are reading God's Word, that we are bitten? Isn't that the case? Let's say that we are reading a psalm or a... Uh, a portion, a chapter of God's Word together, and, you know, something, be it a word, or a phrase, or a an idea, it jumps at the page, doesn't it? And bites us, bites our imagination, and will not let us go. Surely, we've all had that scenario. Well, that very much happened to me this week when I was preparing this portion of Scripture. There was a phrase here that bit (laughs) and will not uh, let me go. And I just want to draw your attention to the phrase, to the idea in verse 34. Do you know what I'm going to say? We're told that in advance of healing this man, Jesus is standing before him. Do you see the detail? He sighed. And is that not an arresting uh, idea? An image? That the incarnate son of God, the, the agent of the very creation itself, that he there and then would look at this man and let out a deep sigh. But why? I mean, what, 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 what is going on there? Well, is this not a sigh at the deep emotional cost of this moment? I mean, is Jesus not sighing because he sees the sheer and utter hopelessness of this man? He looks at him and he, and he sees the awful predicament of this man. And you see as well, don't you, that he is not just sighing at this one individual. You see that? You see that at this very moment, Mark chapter 7, the Lord Jesus Christ is looking through this man and he sees the awful predicament of all of humanity. He sees the, the, the hopelessness of all humanity because of sin. And what does our Lord do? He sighs. Luther puts it like this, Luther says, This sigh was not drawn from Christ on account of the single tongue and ear of this poor man, but it is a common sigh, a common sigh from Christ over all the tongues and ears, yea, over all the hearts and bodies and souls of men. Do you see it? Our Lord was so grieved by the predicament because of sin that what does he do? He sighs here, but then what would he do? So grieved was he that he would go on to Jerusalem, he would go on to Calvary, he would go on to the cross, and he would sigh His last for the salvation of his own. And then we must note as well that this was a very vocal healing as well. And in many senses, this is the main event. See these other details that we've been given? There's a host of all these other details that we could have looked at. But all of these details are leading up to the moment where the Lord Jesus Christ stands there and he what's the climax of it all? He speaks. He speaks. You notice that that that's the emphasis. Mark records his words in Aramaic and then he records them in translation. The emphasis is on the fact that Jesus speaks at this point. Now, what I want you to see is the beauty of what it was that Jesus exactly said here. So would you look at that with me? It is verse 34. So there is this deep sigh from our Lord. What does He say to him? "Ephatha," which means "be." What does it mean? "Be opened." <laughs> Can I ask you, what do you think's going on there? Be opened. What's going on? Do you think? What's is, what is Jesus speaking to? Be opened. To a deaf and mute man. Do you think he's speaking to the, the, the man's ears? Ears be opened. Do you think he's speaking to the man's vocal cords? Be opened. You're wrong if you do. What you must appreciate is that that expression is singular. It's not plural. Jesus is not speaking to the man's ears. He's speaking to the man. He's speaking to the man's heart. And he stands before him in this healing And he commands this man to be opened, to be receptive at that point to the very working of Almighty God. And I wonder this, I wonder this morning, seeing this church, is Mark chapter 7, is it happening to you in your life today, is it? Do you find yourself at this point in your life with this deep desire for the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you? Like today, even by his word, is the Lord Jesus Christ confronting you face to face? Is that what's happening? And though it has cost him dear, today is he calling to you right now to be open. Be receptive to grace. Is that what's happening this morning? If so, what is it you're going to do? Surely you must bow to this man. Surely it is that you must rejoice in him and let your heart be opened and open to grace. But we'll conclude with that third question. We've seen the what and the how. Do you remember what the third question would be? The who. Friends, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that provides such healing and good news? I mentioned the house group Bible studies earlier on and uh, just before uh, the service. Uh, our house group Bible study About this time last year, uh, we got together and we studied through the Old Testament book of Judges, Old Testament book of Judges. And uh, what we discovered is that the Old Testament book of Judges works through a series of cycles. Do you see what I mean by that? I'll show you what I mean by that. So it starts with the people of Israel and they rebel against God. And then they suffer oppression because of that. And then the next stage is that they cry out to God. And then God delivers them from oppression by raising up a judge. Guess what happens next? The cycle begins again. The people of Israel rebel. And they suffer oppression. And they cry out to God. God. And then God raises up a judge and delivers them. And guess what happens then? That's right. this cycle begins again. And you've got a cycle going on all the way through the book of Judges. You see the principle of a cycle. Now, what I need you to see here just now is that that is what we're dealing with at this point in the book of Mark. That we actually have here two cycles going on. And we are... In the midst of the first. Now, think about this. The cycle begins with a feeding miracle. Can we remember where the feeding miracle was? The feeding of the 5,000. And then the cycle goes on. And there is this healing miracle where, get this, important detail, Jesus takes the man into private to heal him. Let's leave that first cycle there. Let's think about the second cycle. It's in chapter 8, and it begins, guess how? With a feeding miracle. Look at chapter 8, feeding of the 4,000. What happens next? Chapter 8, a healing miracle where someone is taken into private by the Lord Jesus Christ to be healed. you see? Now, it's this is same important thing. The second cycle culminates in that very famous confession of Christ by the apostle Peter. You know, Peter's confession of Christ. That is the apex. That is the final section of the second cycle. The confession of Christ by Peter. So do you see what that teaches us about the first cycle? Where is the apex of the first cycle? Where is the pinnacle? Where is the last section? It's right there in front of us. Look at verse 37. We have this wonderful confession. We have this great declaration. Look what the crowd shouts. They stand before Jesus and say, He has done everything. Well, He, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Do you see it? That's the pinnacle. Now, it gets better. I love this. That there, just like Peter's confession of Christ, do you know what it is? It is a declaration of Jesus' identity. So it is not just from the crowd a declaration of what he's done, or he's healed the dead, made the mute speak. It, like Peter's confession of Christ, is a declaration of who Jesus actually is. See, what we need to know is that the language the crowd uses is remarkably unusual language. It is language, you know, the the deaf hear and the mute speak. The language they use is found nowhere else in the New Testament. Nowhere else at all do you hear the deaf hear and the mute speak. And in fact, you only hear that expression in one other place in all of Scripture. And if we were this morning to dig down into the depths of the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and if we were to dig further right down into Isaiah chapter 35, you know what we'd find? We'd find a prophecy from Almighty God. And what would He say all of those years ago? There would be a prophecy that when the Christ would eventually come, that his identity would be known by two accompanying signs. Have a guess at what those indicators of the Messiah would be. That's right, in Isaiah we read that the Christ would make the deaf hear and the mute speak. Do you see what we are being shown by Almighty God this morning? This Jesus This very Jesus of Nazareth, he was and is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Savior of his people. And if you are a child of God this morning, can you not say with me that as far as the good news is concerned, that Jesus has done all things well. Has he not? He's done everything well. He has done what we simply could not do, hasn't he? Hasn't he? Like he has lived the life that we could not live. He's lived a life that we can't live, a life absent from sin or transgression or pride. He's done it well. And he has gone to the cross and he's borne your sin if you're a child of God. He has taken the wrath upon himself and he's done it well and he has risen from the grave. He's done it all, and he has done it all well. So yeah, if you're a Christian this morning, how you should rejoice in Jesus. But if you're not a Christian here, I wonder, do you see it? Like, Do you see why at LCPC we call this message good news? Do you see it? Is it not good news? that I can stand in front of you this morning and I can say to you, there's healing and there is salvation to be found all in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, look to him this morning. Will you not call out to him, ask him for that healing, ask him for salvation? This day, this morning, will you not ask Jesus for ears to hear Almighty God, let's pray.